want to welcome you to week nine of Revelation in the End Times. We will be going through chapters eight and nine, so I hope you enjoy. God bless. This is basically, chapter eight is the, the seventh seal is going to be broken. And then we're going to get into the seven trumpets. And so the destruction or these sort of judgmental images and, and, and destruction is going to continue. So that's kind of what these chapters are. And uh, again, we get the last seal and, and really the six trumpets in chapter eight and nine. We don't get the uh, seventh trumpet till, I don't know, it's like chapter 11 or something like that. So uh, we will, uh, if we get through two chapters today, we'll cover all that stuff. But the seventh trumpet comes in later on. So just a quick recap um, to help us understand some things. The, you know, Revelation is really not a prediction of what will happen. It is either has happened, ha is happening at times, or some future things will happen, but they, it has more to do with um, if you continue in this way of things, you will have particular judgment. And that's similar to if you were a first century Christian hearing the things or first century Jew or first century Roman reading this book as well, okay? So, but God seems to continually be doing a lot to save people, to get people to repent in, from their sin. And so we will continue to see that. So here's uh, chapter 8. Let me read the first six verses. It says, When the Lamb... Opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stood before God, and the seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel with a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given a great quantity of incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar that is before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were perils of thunder, peals of thunder, rumbles, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets made ready to blow. One thing that we need to look at before we kind of get into either interpreting the text or trying to see the deep meaning and truths in the symbolism, is there's a portion in here that's a little out of order. And um, some people, when they talk about that or they hear that, they, they go, well, gosh, that's just a scholarly pastor or a pastor trying to, you know, say God's word's not right and blah, blah, blah. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. If you look at verse 2, it says... And, Basically, we have this scene that the lamb is opening the seventh seal. Then all of a sudden, we got verse 2, which is, I saw the seven angels who stood before God and seven trumpets were given to them. That fits more really down there before verse 7, or sorry, verse 6. And so we can imagine most likely, or we could say that at some point in time, there was a scribe recopying these things and kind of got this out of order. And people say, well, God's word doesn't have an error. Well, that's not how we actually talk anyway. We don't talk about the inerrancy of the Bible. Uh, but that's not so much an error in God's word. This is just simply, to me, a proof that God's word is even more true. Because think about all the people and all the years that God's word has survived. There's a particular reason why it does survive. And so we can look at those things, and we can look at this source and say, they kind of got that out of order at some point in time, because it doesn't make any sense. Once the seventh seal is broken, we need to hear what happens. That's how we've been so hearing. So anyway, it's, uh, I think that's important. It's kind of a, a fun way to, 
uh, talk about things. Um, let me put everybody on mute. No one's doing anything. Everybody is on mute. Gosh, you guys are amazing. Holy cow. You have learned so good. Um, so this is an incredible image. If you look at verse one and the seventh seal being open, because there's a pause in heaven and silence for a half hour. Have you ever done been in silence for a half hour? You know, I mean, trying to be in a, and I'm talking about a worship service. Like sometimes we used to have in different times, we have moments of silence in our worship services. And I'll just let you know, we put the clock on like 30 seconds and everybody thinks it's like two minutes. And I guarantee you, it ain't two minutes. If we did two minutes, it would feel like 10 minutes for everybody. And we hear the coughing and the rustling and everybody, about 30 to 45 seconds, everybody starts to rustle a little bit. And so it's very interesting. Think of just nothing for 30 minutes, almost about 30 minutes in heaven. That's crazy. No rumbling, no, no noise, no angels coughing, no, I mean, nothing. And uh, pretty spectacular for me, uh, that image, because we know something big's about to happen. Now, what big thing is about to happen when he opens the seventh seal is not the seven trumpets. That's why it's kind of out of order, okay? What big thing happens is what we get basically in verse 3 through verse 5. And that is another angel with a golden censer comes up and stands before the altar. And he gives a great, he's given this great quantity of incense to offer prayers of the saints on this golden altar that is before the throne. So that's basically an act of worship is about to happen to God. And incense is about to rise up. And it says in verse um, Verse 4, and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. So there's this silence. And then there's this beautiful picture of an angel walking forward and he has his golden censer. And a censer is, you know, the thing that you like swing back and forth. And you see that a lot of times in Catholic churches or other things. We, we've done that here I think a couple of times but you can and then the incense you know they're rising up before God so it's an act of worship well it's the altar is not burning any um, goats or birds or ox or anything like that so we have this altar that has some sort of fire on it but it's it's the incense, the smell, the aroma, this is a beautiful picture, the aroma that reaches God are the sacrifices of people, right? In the sense of, um, of the saints, the prayers, not so much their death, but their prayers. And God's already done the sacrificing in Jesus Christ, in the Lamb. So there's no more blood that needs to be shed. There's no more... Um, sacrificing animals that need to be done, but we have this beautiful picture of worship, and worship is basically all of heaven pauses, and there's a silence for the prayers of the saints. And then the saints' prayers become the aroma that is before God. And prayer, you could say, is a sacrifice to God. It's an act of sacrifice just in itself and communicating with God. So, it's a really cool image. Uh, you can look at verse 5 where it talks about this fire and the altar and thrown to earth and all that. You, you get a reference to the Old Testament there in Ezekiel chapter 10. So um, it, it's, not a, it's not a hard and fast one, but that's what scholars say is a reference to because the prayers of the saints are basically returned to the earth and sort of venge, in vengeance. Um that could correlate back to a little bit where we saw where they were asked how long before vengeance happens, you know, as these, these martyrs were around the altar uh, and in the image we saw a couple of chapters ago. So anyway, any comments about any of that? That's just kind of the, the image we get. It's a beautiful image of worship. So, any thoughts? 
Okay. Well, let's hit the seven. Let's get into the seven trumpets and let's get into the seven angels, which were just mentioned as well. There's a the the Tobit or Tobit is a publication. Um, I don't know why I didn't look it up, but I'm I'm assuming it's part of the apocrypha that we don't use, but uh, Protestants don't use. But in there, there's a naming of archangels. And there's seven archangels, and so we we can sort of assume maybe if uh, these seven angels would be the archangels and the higher of angels, and and their names are like Raphael and Miguel and Michael and Gabriel, sorry Gabriel and Ramel and all the those names. Okay, there's seven of them, and so. These are uh, trumpets that they will blow, and ultimately we will see reference to a lot of Old Testament visions and a lot of sort of destruction on things. So the first, let's read the, we'll go to the end of the chapter here. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and they were hurled to the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burned with fire was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed." The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it fell on the third of the rivers and the springs of water. And the name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many died from the water because it was made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light was darkened, and a third of the day was kept from shining, and likewise the night. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew in mid-heaven, Woe, 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 or your Bible might say disaster, disaster, disaster to the inhabitants of the earth. At the blast of the other trumpets, that the three angels are about to blow. So, we hear a lot of thirds. A lot of thirds have to do with God's prophecy. It's apocalyptic, prophetic literature, again, that we're reading. It's a style of writing. It's a style of vision that God has given to John. And we see it also in Ezekiel um, you see it in Ezekiel chapter 5. There's some references to a third, a third, a third. So there, and, and they were going back to God's prophesying about the destruction of Jerusalem. Okay? Now, that kind of brings up the third deal. But we also need to frame these judgments and how important it is for us to have a mindset on these judgments. Technically, these judgments are not towards the church. We've already had the seven letters to the church. Uh, these judgments are not even towards the people of the world. I mean, you could say they are because it says inhabitants of the earth. This mainly are images of the judgment of Israel, of God's chosen people, Israel, or the nation of Israel, okay? And how do we know that? Well, we're going to see a lot of imagery that has to do with Israel. As I just said, we saw third, 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 and you look back in Ezekiel, and you see that has a lot, that, that imagery has to do with the judgment of Israel and the destruction of Jerusalem before the Babylonian Empire, that type of stuff. So you, you've got a similar thing that just happened in 70 AD around this time with Rome destroying the temple. Well, this first angel blows his trumpet, and there comes hail and fire mixed with blood, the hurled to the ground, all that stuff. You have, um, first of all, the seven trumpets are, are an Old Testament image, much like Jericho, right? Joshua marched around Jericho in chapter 6 and blew the trumpets and Set, boom, the walls fell down, okay? You can look that back up. Again, apocalyptic literature is trying to ask for repentance 
and trying to get people to repent. So you see these images. This is an image in this first trumpet that is much like what we saw or would see in Sodom and Gomorrah, okay, where fire rains down from the sky in Genesis 19. Also, hail and blood have to do with the Egyptian plagues. And you have to sort of, you can reference back to those. So these are images that have been seen before in not only real life, but also possibly in imagery, okay, symbolically. And so that's sort of the first one. The second angel blows his trumpet, and you see something like a great mountain. Well, the great mountain or God's holy mountain you know what God's holy mountain is? It's a reference to Israel and the temple. And those have, that has been used throughout the Old Testament. In, in Exodus 15, in Psalms you hear it, in Ezekiel. So if you want to know what God's holy mountain is, a great mountain is Israel and the temple. And what happens to that Israel and that temple? It is thrown, basically, is something like Great Mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. It's just burning up and it's thrown in the sea. Again, tying back into Israel's judgment. And this is an image of judgment upon Israel as the followers or chosen people of God. And then also a judgment upon the temple. Because the temple is no more. The temple's not needed. It, the sacrifice, sacrificial system's not needed anymore. We are the temples. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit, God's temples. So, any comments, thoughts on any of that before I get into verse 9? Any? I, I just want to clarify. I would, this is Pam. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. are you saying that these judgments are not going to come upon the earth? It's only going to be Israel? Um, well, again, these are not predictions, so these might never happen, right? And we've no, been I'm saying judgments, right? No, I, right. No, so, yes, I got you. I got you. I got you. Well, so this this is not going to happen. These already happened. Well, that's already it already kind of happened to Israel. Um, and that is kind of the imagery that we get again. First century, it can. It could be a future thing. That's where we talked about a couple of weeks ago is this certain things have happened, right? Since the dawn of the apostles or dawn of the church, tribulation has been going on. So this stuff could have already happened. This stuff could have happened at another time. This stuff could have happened in the future as well. This is a judgment upon those who are God's chosen at that, I would say at that point in time, which was Israel and the temple back then. So I would not, I personally wouldn't go into the future of the present time with this. That's just my, that's my scholarly advice because of this doesn't, it wouldn't make sense. Um, uh, now, God's has a covenant with Israel still, and we don't fully understand all that, but it's a faith covenant again. And so you could say, well, maybe it is present day. Maybe it is happened in the near last 100, 200 years. Maybe it's going to happen in the future. So, yes, these acts of judgment are upon Israel and the temple and not upon God's people. So, followers, so... That's a long way of saying it, but I think you're right on that. This the, the way you said that. So, um, a third of the sea. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. That's an interesting thought. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Have you have you ever read a Jewish interpretation of Revelations? No, I mean not that. No. I don't know if they have one. They probably don't have one, but it would be interesting. So, scholars would say that it's a correct. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. So they would see, like, I mean, that's an that's an interesting thought. I mean, Jew, the Jews would see there's no reason to have judgment upon them, right? But see, we're not done with the trumpets yet. We're going to even get more personal in just a minute with really this under... You got to remember, 
whether this happens, something like this of judgments happen present, future, whatever, always put it in the context of the first century because it makes a heck of a lot more sense. And plus, it's it does it's not so mysterious because we look at that and go, the temple and the nation of Israel are basically kaput. I mean, that's basically what this is saying. This is an imagery that they can either choose to be thrown into, they're burning up. They can either be, you know, choose to stay a part of that burning mountain and be thrown into the sea, or they can repent and join the new party is kind of that, that sort of thing. Okay, so that's the context of this. And again, similar imagery of Old Testament as well. The third of the sea became blood, third of the living creatures in the sea died. That is, again, that recalls the first Egyptian plague. I mean, go back and read it. It's like, oh, that's very similar, okay? And so in Exodus 7, where the Nile River became blood and the fish died and all that, okay? Now it adds more destruction. There's ships and things like that. Again, this is destructive language trying to get people to repent. Like, I don't want to be a part of that. What do I got to do not to be a part of that, right? And that's where we go into this and go, this is not so much literal. This is a spiritual matter. God is, um, this is a spiritual issue for people and Israel for sure. So the third trumpet is blown and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers. And again, there's that third, third, third. And the name of the star is Wormwood. And third of the waters became warm, became bitter and many died from the water because it was made bitter. Now, we often go, well, we got to find the literal understanding of that, and we got to wait for the, the comet to come down or the asteroid to come down or whatever it is, and we got to call it wormwood. That's not, that's not really what it's saying here because we have references in the Old Testament to images just like this. So a great star fell from heaven references Isaiah 14, 12 through 15, where you have, it's a recalling, we've already seen that once, the recalling of Satan's fall from heaven, okay? He was the great star, the, you know, the morning. So he fell from heaven. Again, imagery that, again, ties it back to the Old Testament, keeps consistency of Scripture for all of us as well. Now, there's a class of plants for verse 11. There's a class of plants that you might be able to know this or say this better than me, but Artemisia and their characteristics are bitterness. And so when you eat them, they taste bitter. They make you nauseous, okay? This fruit, uh, or not this fruit, but these plants, uh, when you look back at like Deuteronomy, um, 29 is the reference, and you look at what's the fruit of idolatry, which we don't want to be idol, you know, have idolatry in our life. It says basically it's going to make you nauseous and and bitter. It's bitter and those type of things. So all of this language is is just part of this biblical imagery and and language. Now this is God's judgment. God's judgment's going to be bitter. And the Jews who reject Jesus, and it's interesting how this um, water plays a part in this. What is the symbol of uh, faith for us and renewal and regeneration? It's baptism, right? We use water as a you know as part of the sacrament of baptism. Well, we also believe in we are baptized in the holy spirit right and so we as um followers have already kind of gotten to the next stage but these folks who reject the baptism of the holy spirit and that would be the jews at this point in time maybe romans whatever but talking about the jews that in israel then they've missed it they're going to endure bitter waters. They're going to endure God's judgment, which is not going to be sweet. You know, doesn't mean it's going to be horribly destructive, but it's not going to be like as sweet as eternal life. Now, 
There's references in Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter 5, which talks about an unfaithful spouse. And then when it talks about the unfaithful spouse, it talks about bitter, bitterness and things like this. So there's a lot of references in Old Testament to this, which we have to keep uh, as a part of the context of the Scripture. So uh, verse 12, the fourth angel blows this trumpet, and a third of the sum was, was struck, a third of the moon, th again, third, third, third of all this sort of created order. This goes back, too, to the ninth plague in Egypt in the Exodus story. In Exodus chapter 10, you can go back and you can read about the ninth plague. Very similar imagery there, okay? Again, if you were a Jew reading this, you might go, wow, you know, I'm feeling like they know our history. They know our present. They know maybe even our future. Also, if you were a Christian who came from the Jewish heritage or Jewish faith, you might go, I'm not going to give up on my newfound faith in Christ because it doesn't sound like the old way is going to, you know, they're going to get God's judgment. It's not going to sound, it doesn't sound very good for them. So, again, a moment of encouragement for those people who are reading this. Um, any, any thoughts on any of that? we got a few more things in Chapter 8 we can talk about. But, I mean, this is a lot of crazy stuff, a lot of crazy imagery. So. <clears throat> okay. Um, let me just wrap up this chapter um, Again, we talked about the thirds. Uh, so it says, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, or yours might say, disaster, disaster, disaster. This is a warning, an eagle crying out in a loud voice saying, Hey, you think that was bad? Just wait for the next trumpets to come. And this woe, 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 disaster, disaster, disaster is another reference to Ezekiel 7 in verses 1 through 14 about... Israel's judgment, okay? Again, references to Israel, Israel's judgment, Israel's judgment. So again, that gets back to the general timeliness of this letter for century. And if you want to bring it into present or future, this is going to be Israel. This is an Israel thing, okay? Now you hear inhabitants of the earth at the end of that warning Inhabitants of the earth is used 10 times in the scripture. And we will see it nine other times, but it's all negative. So it's not positive. Um, that, that, that's, uh, you know, the inhabitants of the earth and then something not positive happens. Okay. That's just something for us to keep a watch out for. So again, images in chapter 8. All these images that I've seen in chapter 8, to me, uh, I've seen in other generations, and they've probably seen them. Um, and I'm not talking about literal, you know, where the, the sun or, you know, is struck down, a third of the moon struck But this sort of judgment, these sort of um, uh, just sort of uh, disasters among the the Jewish people, um, we've seen that throughout history, and uh, we, somebody asked earlier in the men's thing, and you might be asking right now, why do I care about all this? I mean, what does this have to do with me? You know, I mean, I don't really, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian, so I'm good. Well, first of all, we're studying the Bible verse by verse, so you got to take everything with uh, the good and the bad. And we got to talk about it, but also it helps us understand that what a first century Christian would be reading, and I think what we should take out of this truth is that we should remain focused on conquering the earth for God through what? The blood of the Lamb and the testimony of God in our lives. So we need to remain faithful just like the early Christians needed to remain faithful, no matter what was happening. Oh, it might seem the Jews are more powerful than us, or they have it better, or the Romans, or whatever. No matter what's going on, ultimately, 
the spiritual judgment, this isn't really, this is, this is spiritual stuff, really, that they're talking about here, okay? Again, not literal physical stuff, but spiritual stuff. It, this, there's going to be some judgment going on, and it's not going to be pretty if you don't remain solid in your faith, because this is spiritual matters. These are eternal matters. So, we also should remember that we don't need to break God's teachings by trying to conquer the world like the beast of Rome did, right? We don't need to break God's commands to love our neighbor as ourselves. We, we don't need to like overthrow people with just military power and might like Rome did. We need to be conquering the world or conquering earth for God through the blood of the lamb and the testimony in our in our faith testimony so that's the reminder because again these are oppressed people reading this for the first time back in the first century they don't have any power we yeah we live in america we got a whole lot of power right most powerful nation in the world that's not what these first century christians were they were the they were the lowly they were the oppressed they were the hunted they were the they were the persecuted okay so that's chapter 8. Any thoughts, comments? Anything you got in your notes? Uh, Pastor, yes. I guess it's just kind of uh, hard for me to get by the fact that, you know, this is going to happen only to the Jews. Right. Uh, because when it does say, whoa, 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 to the inhabitants of mm -hmm. the earth, and Ezekiel, he, and Ezekiel or the other prophets, they were specifically talking yeah. about Israel. Yeah. To me, if it was this was only Israel right. that is going to feel all these things, then I think John would have said to the Israelites, just mm -hmm. like Ezekiel said it and all the others. But this, well, and, and because it right. happens several times, like you said, uh, whoa, 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 to the inhabitants of the earth, um, you know, I've always felt that mm -hmm. they, these are the unbelievers of the earth, whether Jewish mm -hmm. or Gentile, it doesn't matter. But all of these woes will come upon the earth because mm -hmm. this is what it said. Whoa, whoa, whoa to the inhabitants of the right. earth. Uh, so it's going to happen. Maybe some of this, of course, we know the Jews were persecuted. People mm -hmm. are being persecuted even today that I don't think we here in America really grasp Correct. because it's not the same type of persecution is not happening here. Um, I mean, it's, it's right. going to it's get happening. Worse. Yeah. Everywhere. Not, not like really. the rest of the world in China mm -hmm. and the Middle East where mm -hmm. persecution right. is real. Right. I mean, for the, real. yeah, for the Christian, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, for the Christian. Mm -hmm. So, um, I guess I'm just, it's just hard. Well, I would, I would, so I would say this. Um, we have to remember the context of, and I'm not trying to convince you of anything. I would assume that, I would say this, I'll clarify. I would assume that all the earth, whether it was before or now or whatever, future, will and is going to endure some sort of judgment, right? And this is spiritual matters we're talking about. So th I agree with you. And it says there, inhabitants of the earth. I'm, I'm okay with that. I just don't want us to forget the context. I'm trying to keep us in the context. It's so easy for us to run to our context or the future. My goal is to keep us in the context of this text in the first century. And this is pretty hard stuff right here about the Jews, okay? Um, that doesn't mean it's not going to spill over to unbelievers. I would agree with you on that. But this is referencing these first few trumpets. Boy, they're, they're, I'm not saying all seven. I'm just saying that there's a majority of these trumpets that are specifically about the Jewish chosen, you know, God's chosen people, those type of things. So I think that's where we're getting into the next trumpets is, oh, whoa, 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 to all the inhabitants of the earth, okay? But it, those four, very specific imagery talking about Israel. 
Does that is that good with you, Pam? Too on that. I mean, again, I'm not trying to convince you anything. We can kind of believe as we we want to on that. But that's that was the intent of the first generation um, audience, especially with the first four trumpets. So um, now we're getting into all this other stuff. We get into these other trumpets, and like you said, whoa, whoa, whoa to the inhabitants of all the earth. So we're going to start incorporating some things. So let's look at that. Let's look at verse nine. I mean, chapter nine, verse one. I'll probably read verses uh, verse through verse twelve. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft then from the smoke came locusts on the earth and they were given authority like the authority of scorpions on of the earth they were told not to damage the grass of the earth and any green growth or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Now again, just what we came out of talking about was this is sort of broadening the audience a little bit, okay? They were allowed to torture them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torture was like the torture of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses equipped for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had scales like iron breastplates, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails like scorpions with stingers, and in their tails is their power to harm people for five months. They have a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek his name is Apollyon. The first woe has passed. There are still two woes to come. So some intense stuff even more so than before and like we were talking about first sort of four trumpets had a lot to do with israel now we're beginning to broaden our audience a little bit more and these are affecting more people because we won't get as many references to israel okay so this is something a little broader now we got the abyss we got the bottomless pit we need to deal with that what exactly is that some some would say it's an intermittent place of punishment for fallen angels um, the bottomless pit technically is scholars would say the furthest extreme from heaven okay and there's a nine new testament verses that refer to the bottomless pit. Now, I'm not going to name them all, but there's some in Luke and Romans. It's it, there's one in Luke in in 8:31. There's one in Romans in 10:7, and then there's seven in Revelation. Okay. Nine is the number of judgment. Remember, numbers have meaning in the book of Revelation, especially in apocalyptic literature. So, the bottomless pit is a place of judgment. It's the furthest extreme from heaven. Josephus, who was a historian, wrote about the Jewish wars that led up to the destruction of the temple. And this is what he said. They paid no heed to the clear warnings of God. Okay, so a lot of this has to do with these are warnings that happened before, they might happen in the future, you know, whatever. But this bottomless pit is an abyss, the place you don't want to be. It's a place of judgment. Okay, in verse 2, these are 
not this is not literal. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit and from the shaft rose smoke like the I mean, these are evil powers, spiritual. Okay? These are spiritual matters, spiritual battles. These are evil has been given a chance to work. And so if we are faithful people, we would go, well, what's our task then? Well, we got to remain faithful. We got to we got to remain focused so that these evil things don't influence our lives. Okay? So we don't fall into some form of judgment and give up on what we believe in Jesus Christ. Then you have verse 3 talks about these locusts. Locusts have always been a symbol of destruction in the Old Testament. This fits right in with keeping the Bible consistent as well as referencing the Old Testament and other apocalyptic literature, but locusts is a symbol of destruction in the Old Testament, and it's this desert insect. Uh, but we see this spiritual battle going on in verse 4. They were told not to damage the grass or the herb, blah, blah, blah. Only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And we think often, well, that's a physical thing. Understand that. But this is a battle of the souls who don't have a seal of God on their souls. Okay? And... Again, there's a reference in Ezekiel where somebody's walking around and putting the sign of God on somebody's forehead. And so you can go back and reference that if you want. But they were allowed to torture for five months but not kill people. Uh, their torture was like the torture of, a, you know. So you got five months. Why is it five months? Again, relationship to just, this is so weird why it crosses over, you know, and understanding of animals and how that works, insects, but five months is the lifespan of a locust. Did you know that? I didn't know that, but when we're studying five months, so there's a reason why they were given five months. Well, five months is their lifespan. That's all they had. And, but, so you have this sort of judgment and this punishment going on, this, this, this heartache, whatever it is, but you have this spiritual battle going on. Do we know five months back in the first century, five months in the present day, what all this is, when this is, what's happening, what's a spiritual battle different than has been throughout the ages, I don't know. I mean, we just, we lost the code. I don't even know if we would be able to answer that. So what I see here, personally to me, as I've read and studied this, is this is a picture to me, as we see this, a picture of human suffering in real life. There are disasters that are going on. There are earthquakes. There are wars. There is disease. There is everything you could ever imagine that physically can harm us that is present, much like today. Okay? But because of those things, people have allowed their spirits and their, their spiritual hearts to harden. Right? And you see it all the time. I see it all the time. Um, and they still don't turn to God for comfort. They still don't turn to God for meaning. They still don't turn to God for purpose of love. I mean, we see it. This could be being fulfilled if you want to say it's a prediction of something. This is being fulfilled present day, but it's always been that way. Um, we've always seen things like that. Yes? Uh, in one of your handouts for this study, mm -hmm. you mentioned that five is the number... Uh, is symbolic of God's grace and power. Hmm, interesting. Is, when you think of that, at the end of the five is God's grace. It's in power, power. yeah. yeah. Just, well, the call to, I mean, the call to repent, you know, and then you get God's grace, you get God's power, you know. He hasn't destroyed any of them, and, and that's interesting, Billy, too, because they were allowed to torture them but not kill them. Right? This is not spiritual death forever because people always have a chance with the Lord, you know, to, to repent. And uh, His mercy and His anger is long suffering. All the characteristics fit right into that. It's interesting. Good point. Um, in verse 6, you have a quote of Job chapter 3, verse 21. So if you want to reference that, your Bible might actually have that. In there, but um, you know, people wanted to die, but they didn't die, and 
and all that stuff. We've, you, it's amazing to me, as I was telling the men, and we've seen it, we've talked about it before, but, you know, 9-11 happens, and boy, churches are just packed. You know, it's like you don't even have enough seats for people. Um, give it a few weeks, everybody's good again. You know, um, you know, uh, COVID hits, everybody's got to be locked down, and, uh, you know, online streaming goes way up church attendance. I mean, you got people watching who would never be watching anything, and especially not church. And, and then, you know, give it a few months, and, oh, we're not dying quite yet, and we're all good, and, you know, so they go back to their own life. I mean, this is the pattern that we're seeing right here constant dealing with natural disasters or whatever or just things of the world and no repentance uh, i'm not that's different than saying god's causing these things to make people repent um, this is this is a lot of this is natural evil that comes about because the forces of evil we have the ability to choose good or bad you know and and we can do bad things but when we see somebody do something evil and bad, does that make us go, man, I don't want that to be my heart. You know, I want to, I want to be pure and love people and not hate them, you know? And so you see these things pop up and then no one's still repenting, um, that we hear of. Seven through, uh, 12, in appearance, the locusts were like horses equipped for battle. I mean, you can go into, are those helicopters? Are those airplanes? Are those people? I mean, whatever. But they could just be a symbol of, you know, destruction, right? An image of death and judgment. And that was the whole point of an apocalyptic literature is to scare the bejeebers out of you. And we don't want this to happen. So that's what I look at these, this little portion. We don't want that stuff to happen. Um, we don't want to endure that stuff. And so I want to repent, you know. I don't want to have to go through that, okay. And that was really, that's how this apocalyptic literature, literature was written. Now again, we see the uh, bottomless pit. We see in verse... Uh, 11 the bottomless pit the abaddon apollyon this is a called this is destroyer basically means destroyer and um, we don't want to meet this guy or this girl or whatever right we don't want to we don't want to we do not want that so if you're reading this you're like no how what do i do not to have to deal with that right and so i'm going to repent i'm going to Yes, you could say, well, this is a fear tactic thing, and I'm not all for that, but this is apocalyptic literature. This is how this was written. So Abaddon is the place of destruction. Six times in the Old Testament, it is referred to, it's a place of death. Um, Job 26, Psalm 81 are some of those references. It's another word, other words for it are hell, sheol, death so that's uh it's the place you don't want to be it's separation you could say this it's separation from god okay so will all these things happen will they happen in the future again just want to kind of close this up is these are spiritual images of unfaithfulness these are eternal that have eternal ramifications is basically what we're getting um, will they come true only if the person doesn't repent what what exactly is going to come true well it keeps leading to a place called the bottomless pit in the abyss and you don't want to be there okay and will you witness this i think we're witnessing it now <laughs> i think we're witnessed it before, like I was saying, is like, I mean, spiritually, I mean, people have dealt with all sorts of things and and they spiritually don't ever question anything or they have and then they're just done, right? And uh, which makes me sad. It's part of my calling is I want to tell people about Jesus and, and let them know good news and that there's meaning to life beyond the here and now or, 
you know, the tragedies or whatever it might be. So, but it, I think it's all around us because it's spiritual death. It's an image of spiritual death and it's happening every day around us. Um, it was all around John at his time too. In the first century, it was, it's been around again for a long, long time since creation, spiritual death. And, and God's pointing this out to encourage the first century Christians, and we can be encouraged by it too, remain faithful, it's worth it, because you get eternity with me. And we haven't got to the city yet, but we're going to get to the city, right? And, uh, you know, later on. And so that's the reward. That's the eternal thing. So um, any closing things on that? We've kind of run out of time, but we'll, we'll end right there, mid, right before the sixth trumpet. Any other thoughts? Because there's more destruction to come. So, if you like destruction. <laughs> I like the clarity that I'm getting from this. Mm -hmm. I can see how you're connecting the imagery to things that have happened and occurred mm -hmm. from the first century through the beginning of time. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. I, I find comfort in that. Yeah. And it helps it helps us interpret it, even though we might we might be seeing it too, but it help us helps us understand it so we don't have to make up weird stuff to try to interpret. And and I hate to say it, but when you interpret things like, oh, is that the is that the Russians? You know, is, is that America? We're doing the same thing that we've always done. It's them against us. No, it's your soul. That's the problem, your spiritual problem. You know, that's what John's trying to, yeah. So that, that's, that's the powerful point of this. It's like there's evil in the world and oppression and racism because of you and your soul, you know, and uh, your actions.